Welcome back to The Stripe, the first and only podcast dedicated to the face-off position. I'm your host, Greg Arenlian, and I'm excited to bring you knowledge, insight, and predictions about the PLL face-offs on a weekly basis. Today's episode features Chaos LC face-off man Tommy Kelly, known now universally amongst the PLL face-off man as the fastest hands in the league. TK's won immediate control of the ball on 77% of his draws last season. He's leaned up this past offseason and is locked and loaded for the 2020 PLL Championship Series. TK, thanks for joining me at the Stripe. Greg, thanks for the intro. And uh, obviously, it's a pleasure to be on your show. Uh, and it's actually really freaking cool that those face-off guys have uh, a platform to talk about what we do now. So thank you uh, to the PLL and yourself for hosting us. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's, I'm glad to have you on here. It's been funny because the common denominator that – all face-off guys have been able to agree on so far is that TK is going to win most of his clamps against me. That's the, the, <laughs> the, this, what we hear the most. And it's kind of insane, and we'll get into it, but people have to understand that in the PLL, it's hands down the best face-off guys in the world. And for them all, all of us, to universally say, yeah, I played against TK. He crushed me on the whistle uh, amongst everyone is a pretty cool feeling. So in your opinion, when you go out there to game plan, what's it like to just know that you're probably going to gain control of the ball on the whistle more often than not? So, I mean, to be honest with you, I don't really think like that. Um, I just kind of go out. I keep myself in the same mental rhythm every single game that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying my best to react as fast as I can to that whistle and then obviously over games progress and as face-off guys know, you get more and more confident due to early or late success in a game. Um, so last year I was always on the whistle real early in a game. So it made me feel pretty confident throughout the whole entire game. Uh, the aspect, I guess, of my game that I wasn't too confident in last year was my exit. So um, that's something that I needed to address in the offseason. And it really had to do with how much weight I had gained during uh, the the 2019 PLL season and being a little banged up, taking a lot of face-offs, you know, moving the wings in a little closer, you get a little bit more contact than we're used to. So um, it was a definitely an interesting season. Um, but I guess getting back to your question, mindset wise, um, you know, I guess some games I'm going to know, all right, I'm going to outclamp this guy, but most games I try to go in with the same mentality that, Hey, the guy across from me is one of the best guys in the world as well. And, you know, I have to bring my a game, and I got to perform the best of my ability time in and time out to make sure that, you know, I still have a job here in the upcoming years. Yeah, that's a good point. It's very cutthroat. You're, I tell everybody, no matter how good they think we are out there, we're always one or two bad games away from never playing again. And that's how cutthroat it is in yeah. face-off position in professional lacrosse. I know when, when we had spoken last season, I think it was after a couple of weeks or something, we had caught up during one of the weekends and we were talking about how crazy – different it is having those wings one yard in on each side and, and we'll certainly get to the field size of the PLL and just so everybody at home understands when we talk about clamp percentage on the whistle you have your initial movement and usually that's a clamp so you're trying to get your top sidewall into and over the ball and because the ball is lined up higher on the heads in the PLL than it is in NCAA and other platforms uh, it really means a lot for you to be able to have that hand speed on the whistle and for TK, he was facing off at a 77% clip on the clamps. 
And the overall faceoff percentage last year was 52.4% on the season. And versus starters, if we want to focus, that's what we usually do. We focus mostly on the starters. Starter versus starter, you were 76% on clamps. And you were 50.7% on faceoffs. So that's, you know, over 20% gap. And that's something that TK is talking about with his exits. And we're going to get that because I, I will be honest, in my entire professional career, TK is the only person I've ever walked into a game thinking, all right, this guy will definitely win more clamps than me. And that's struck fear in most of the guys' hearts in the PLL. And people have to game plan around that. Because the wings are a little bit closer, because the field's a little bit shorter, before we get into the statistics, how do you feel like both pros and cons that tweaked your game and how you started to adapt to it for this season? Um, Definitely pros. I mean, about the clamp and how we line up and, you know, like the stenciled, the stenciled face off takes out, you know, bad refereeing. It takes out guys having unfair advantage, you know, creeping up next to the ball. It's clear cut. So I love that, that it's like, all right, this guy's not trying to give himself a better set after the referee is backed up a couple steps, you know, and is getting their hands in there. It's, it was the cleanest face off I've, I've taken as a professional all year long and it was extremely consistent all year long. So huge pro there. Um, I would also say, I mean, a con for me, I was a little less athletic. I would like to say last season that I'm going to be this year. Um, so I was a little slower getting up out of my stance to pop the ball. So, you know, you have the best athletes in the world running at you from both sides. Um, again, when you're a little heavier and you don't feel that you're at your best, your confidence struggles mentally a little bit. And that's the part of my game where my confidence struggled. So, I mean, having the guys in, it was uh, it was a bit of a, it was a bit of just like a, a mind check. I had to, I had to realize, all right, I'm not going to have as much space. The field's a little bit smaller. The wings are moved in and the best athletes are running in at me. So it was, I would say, con obviously selfishly speaking um the wings moved in hurt my actual win percentage a little bit but you know that's not pointing fingers at the pll that's kind of pointing two thumbs back at me here um so yeah i mean i i love the way this the face-off was set up this year um i think that if any anyone's trying to model face-off um so to say this is the model that should be it put into place um you know, it, it was it was really cool, too, that you had guys that in other leagues and, and whatnot were trying to time up whistles and, you know, they rolled into whistles win early with this new rule. You know, you're waiting for that whistle. So the face off is cleaner. Um, it's done the right way. And I just I, I really thought that the whole stenciling of the face off was genius. You know, like it, it was a smart move to progress us forward in our position. Yeah. And, you know gigantic wink wink gigantic hint hint if you're listening ncaa for god's sakes talking um, to you <laughs> <laughs> um yeah but i mean it, and yeah i remember when when we lined up and the ball was higher on the heads i mean the right hand speed was everything but yeah. unlike the ncaa i know like for me personally if i'm lining up against you I was like, I'm not even going to try to beat this guy on clamps. I'm going to rake. I'm going to come up with game plans for the wings because you're actually able to game plan for the second layer of face-offs in the PLL. In the NCAA, if you're faster than a guy on the clamp, you're probably just going to go 80%. 
And that doesn't mean that doesn't matter if you're on a knee or you're standing. If you're going to win the clamp, you're going to win the clamp. And the, the NCA field is so spread out compared to the PLL. There's nothing you can do about it, really. Um, now, let's look at the stats because these tell an awesome story. Okay. Like we said, you know, we talked about your clamp percentage insane. Okay. Now, and, and you had talked about your exits, and we'll get to that. Yep. Now, yep. when we look at your championship series matchups, so here are the series, here's the matchups you're going to be having coming up based on the guys, um, based on the guys that you went against last year that are still on these teams. So okay. when you go against the Chrome, you were 60% against the Chrome last year. You'll be going yep. against them again. Um, you're going against the Redwoods, who, I mean, these statistics are basically just long poles here, but you were 61% against them, and you're going to have two two rookies coming in that you'll yeah. be going against uh, this year. The Water Dogs, we only have Drew Simino's statistics when he played for the Chrome, and you were 68% against Drew. And then the Whip Snakes, um, you were 49% against them overall during those games, and your clamp percentage was almost 70%. So yeah. The cool thing for you, I guess, game buddies, what do you say? <laughs> that hats off the nards. Yeah. And, and it, you know what? It's funny. We're going to get to Joe in like a week or so. And it's crazy when we look at the statistics, you guys are complete. And this is what's cool about the PLL, right? Is you're like a 75% clamp guy. And Joe is a 30 something percent clamp guy. And you guys ended up with almost identical face off percentage statistics. Yeah. And that's what's cool about the PLL is it's not just how fast is that guy's hands or how athletic he is. It's everything, which is so cool. So when we look at your best games, uh, last year you played against the Redwoods. Um, your best game was week eight. What was that, in, in San Jose or, or San Francisco? Yeah, you were injured. I faced off against Jerry that game. That's right. Okay, so you were 76% in that game. That was your best game. Um which so anybody at home, I don't care if you're facing off against a pillow. Seventy six percent is insane. Um, and then worst game is uh, the Chrome week five, and I don't have your total face off percentage for that. Um, but you, you and Connor, you and Connor battled, and I remember talking about Connor in that that episode uh, is the previous one to this one, Connor talked about how excited he was because you mentored him you taught him face-offs and he was so excited for that game you guys had an absolute battle back and forth um when you talk about the excitement we, we, i mean the redwoods game was one thing but we can talk about you and connor's relationship a little a little bit everyone was excited because when i talked about you two going against each other i watched very closely because you had two guys with real fast hands two guys who were bigger and stronger and two guys who love to use their wings and are very good at it so when you were yep. game planning yep. against Connor, since you taught him <laughs> pretty much everything he knows, what were you doing game planning wise against him? Um, to be honest, I he same as everybody else, just kind of went into the game. Um, and game plan wise, obviously, you know, I faced off against Connor a bunch. I know, you know, usually how the clamps are, are going to go. Um, tried to keep the ball away from Joel White as much as possible, which every face off guy on the planet who plays professionally knows that. You cannot stay away from Joel White when he's yeah. on the wing. Um, he, you know, he, there were a lot of face-offs that game. I remember specifically that I kicked out to the wings, probably didn't put it in a good spot, and Joel White came up with it. Um, so game planning against Connor, obviously he's a big, strong kid. 
And uh, you want to get out quick on him because if you tie up against Connor Farrell 15 times in a game, uh, you're not feeling too good for the next five, six, seven face-offs you're going to be taking. Um, so, you know, it's just use use the speed to the advantage. Try to try to push the ball forward and try to stay away from Joel White um, as best as possible. Yeah, we all want to give a, a big shout-out to Joel White for not playing in the championship series. I'm sure face-off guys everywhere threw a party. I didn't know he wasn't playing, and that makes me extremely happy. <laughs> yeah, I just I just saw his eyebrows go up. <laughs> oh, really? Man. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about your best and worst matchups, uh, okay. just person to person. So Drew Simino last year, you were 68% against him. And, and I was really impressed with that because I know Drew uh, was had, had done had some success against you in the past professionally. But last year you had zero issues. Yeah. Um, was that was that a an adaptation on your part, or did you feel like the rules helped you a little bit, or do you think it was because he was uh, swapping time with Connor? Well, you know what, like any face-off guy, your mindset, you know, you get humbled a little bit, and that's that's what Drew did to me at the end of you know the year prior to 2019. He humbled me in in my last game in that you know in that league in that playoff realm. And, you know, that's something that kind of sat in the back of my mind for a year or so. And, um, you know, it's a game I would rewatch and, and, and aggravate myself to make myself, you know, a little pissed off to work harder to to realize what I did wrong. Um, so like that, I kind of really focused on that game. Um, and that was a big mental chip for me it was like, all right, this this guy last year was really the only guy, you know, to, to humble me or two years ago, I'm sorry, to really humble me and. And I was angry about it, you know, mm-hmm. I, he, and I would like to see the, I mean, obviously the pass is the pass, but the clamp percentage in that game, I think I was probably around 15%. He was on the whistle and just so scrappy. And every time I did win, he was up in my face and I, it, nothing was clean. So, um, you know, it, it, there were a couple things you look back at, you polish a few things up and, um, obviously I have a tremendous amount of respect for Drew as a face-off guy and as a person. I love him to death on and off the field. The guy works his complete tail off, trying to keep it appropriate here, but you know, <laughs> the, guy, the guy works his tail off. And um, there's one one thing that I'll say about Drew Simino is you can never count him out. He's no matter what, you know, you could smoke him forward on a face-off and somehow he's on your heels with a stick above his head ready to wrap check you. He's very scrappy and um you know that was that was a a game that i mentally game planned for for a long period of time (laughs) yeah well there's a couple good takeaways from that one is i want the kids at home to pay attention to this because this is how a professional thinks most kids will never watch a bad game even adults usually i've never i haven't even watched that game i'll never watch that game i'm the opposite that way Yeah. yeah i'm i'm the opposite i don't watch my good games i watch all my bad games Yes. Like if I have a game where I go 75%, I'm not taking anything away, but I'm just blowing my head up. So I'm, yeah. I'm not going to watch it. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, that's why you're as good as you are because I tell kids all the time, you, you don't learn anything from a good day. You learn way more from getting your teeth kicked in than anything. So that's, I mean, that's kudos to you because that's a massive turnaround. And then the other thing is to follow up with Drew, I was super pumped when the water dogs picked them up because oh, me too. Drew was a, a perennial all-star. Uh, professional all-star and I, I think he's going to ha- do really well uh, for the water dogs because people don't give enough credit to somebody who was able to come in he would take like the first four face-offs for the, for the chrome last year 
and then sit out like a quarter and a half and then come back and take like the first four faceoffs of the second half. And he was still almost 50 percent. That's so yeah. incredibly hard. So let's look at uh, the toughest matchups. And we talked about it a little bit with Joe Nardella. Yep. Joe, his clamp, your clamp percentage against him was 65 percent. But I think we all agree Joe's biggest strength is his chaos. Not to, you know, no pun intended. After the whistle, <laughs> uh, you were 46 percent against him for the season. And, you know, you were you were like mid to high 40s throughout the every time you played against him. What's the toughest thing to do against Joe Nardella? Um, so Joe obviously is a great friend of mine. I love Joe, love his game. Um, you know, he's he's just so scrappy. He's another guy like Drew Simino, um, who you could you can never count him out. Um, Joe's a little bit more athletic and a little stronger, um, I would say. Um, and what separates Joe Nardella from a lot of guys is most of the professional guys that got here were great clampers, didn't really have to trickle in too many counters. Um, the, the impressive thing about Joe Nardella is you never know where his counter is coming from. He has a repertoire of like 15 different counter moves that he loves to use. Um, and, you know, like you're confident you're on top of the ball and then all of a sudden you're off the ball and he's boxing you out. Um, yeah. So, you know, Joe was always a guy who – gave me mental unrest so to say that because I you could never count him out and you were always your mindset to say was chaotic because that unit as well with Joe Earhart and you know some of the the short stick wings that the whips had were that that's a phenomenal unit uh, three complete thoroughbred athletes oh, that yeah. you know, are are grinding not giving up Mike Earhart obviously he was the MVP of, of the world games you know like yeah. a guy like that kind of causes a little bit of fear in in all of our heads you know try to keep the ball away from him try to keep the ball away from joel white and joe d does a great job of pushing you towards uncomfortable positions yeah so that's i think where i struggled against joe last year was you know not kind of putting my shoulder into him and and running the way i wanted to go and just kind of letting him guide me to that uncomfortable spot where Maybe I'd miss a first-time ground ball in space where it would turn to a 2v1 ground ball for them. Um, so, you know, he, he does a great job of, of, of changing up his game plan every time you see him. Um, a lot of guys are stubborn. They might not change up their game plan too much. But this is a guy who's just always adapting, and, and you got to give him kudos for that, that, you know, he, he's he's not stubborn in his own, his own right where he thinks his first move is the best and – you know, he knows that maybe he might not get the clamp, but he's athletic enough to get to his feet, throw a counter and make things difficult. Yeah. And and I've always said to I've always said for years, Joe Nardella is the hardest person to game plan for. Oh, uh, yeah. Because he feel I feel like he changes his stance and technique every season. And you literally have no idea how the face off's going to go. Like if I watch a TK highlight video, it's you just clamp, pinch popping, throwing it out to your wing, scoring goals. I watch a Joe Nardella highlight video and every faceoff win is like a 14 second ground ball where somebody ends up face down on the ground somewhere and somehow he has it and he's running on offense. Yeah. Um, and that's just the way he plays. And it's, it's really, I mean, it's like just taking body punches for an entire game because there's no clean wins. So yeah, yeah. I, I would agree. That's definitely Joe Nardella in a nutshell. And then uh, the other is Bones Kelly. You, uh, you know, Bones Kelly, I think in my opinion is the most athletic guy in the PLL faceoff wise. And, you know, you have 
you were 86% clamp percentage against him, 41% against him um, in two games. Uh, what makes Bones Kelly so insanely athletic, like so insanely hard to, to prepare for? Was that in two games or was that just the last game? Uh, it says 16 for 39, 41% in two games. Okay. So yeah, that's probably average of the two games. So yeah. I had one, I had one game, uh, against bones and him and I kind of have this where we go back and forth too. Um, so I had the first game of the season at, uh, against bones at Homewood. Um, I remember being very successful facing off and, you know, getting the ball to where I wanted it. Um, I got hit with the the dual headed monster late in the season of Brendan Fowler and Bones Kelly, and uh, we talked. You talked about Brendan and Stephen Kelly last podcast I listened to with Trevor, um, and the thing about them is they're two completely different face off guys. So I didn't in that game. I didn't necessarily have success early either. So I wasn't extremely confident, um, and you have to make an adjustment every time you watch that guy walk out onto the field. So I, I, w- I wasn't confident at during the start of that game because I didn't have success on the clamp in the beginning. And I think bone smoked me forward on the first one. And I was like, okay, this might be a long day today. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it, that was, it was a combination of things. Um, you know, he's extremely athletic and like Joe, um, he's probably the fastest guy off a knee, I've ever played against and he's quick side to side. Um, So, you know, bones is another guy with who works really well with rat and, and gets face off guys in uncomfortable positions. Um, And then facing off against the two headed monster late in the season. um, That was tough. You know, like Fowler would come out and grind out a, um, a long face off with me. And then the next face off while I'm still a little, a little tired bones comes out and he's, fast as lightning and I got to try to chase him down because he just beat me to the ball and you know for every face-off guy in this league we all respect each other's game and think you know each one of us is the best guy on earth so you know like we all know where we're at and you know I'll never have a bad thing to say about any of these guys and um you know Bones Kelly is is him and Joe are my two biggest fears once they have the ball usually um because once they have the ball they're pushing in transition they're staying on they're playing offense and, you know, like if I just took a 30-second face-off against Brendan Fowler and now I'm running back trying to play defense, that's a tough go. You know, yeah. that's 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 hard. So, You're right. Yeah. And I, the two-headed monster, we played the Archers in the first playoff game last year. And I remember after that game, that was like my first, okay, I'm too old for this moment. Like I, was, <laughs> I, I can't hang with these guys anymore. I felt like I had been playing for two days straight. So yeah. yeah, those those two athletic guys will will push you. Now, yeah. following up on that, okay, we're looking at the rosters, and I think you and the Whip Snakes are the only two who are just going with one faceoff guy. Why do you like? I'm sure you talked to to Andy Towers about it. What was the thought process of only bringing one guy down? Um. So Andy and I talk a lot. Um, and you know, I'm a professional, so I hold myself accountable and, you know, I, I want to control the things I can control. Um, and two seasons ago, I was the best face off guy percentage wise in the professional game. So that, you know, I sat back a little bit, got complacent, you know, was on my high horse for the whole year and, you know, strutting my stuff around and let, let my focus kind of dwindle 
dwindle away. So I got out of shape. Um, I was, I think I finished last season at 242 pounds. Okay. And that's, that's not, yeah, that's not a good 242 pounds for anyone out there listening. Um, so we spoke a lot. We kept in touch. We talked pretty much every week of the season. Um, I took it upon myself to shave off as much weight as I could in the off season. Um, I had a nice conversation with Andy Towers. I also had a great conversation with Joe Amplo at the last Team USA event. And um, we sat down, kind of talked to each other. And he got me thinking a little bit by just saying, you know, I don't think I've ever seen anyone beat you to a clamp. Imagine what you'd be like if you're in shape. No one will beat that Tommy Kelly. So I thought about that. And I was like, you know, he this guy couldn't be more right. And he's a guy who I've respected all throughout, you know, the, his college coaching career. And he recruited me out of high school and he was just always a really good guy. So, you know, he didn't have to sit down with me and, and take his time out and give me any advice. But, you know, that's that's the advice I felt I needed to follow. So right now I weighed myself this morning. I'm 216 pounds. So, nice. I'm, you know, I'm I'm pretty excited that I'm going to be able to move and hopefully have a little bit of a offensive threat like like bones and and uh nards this year because i was always a good two-way player and kind of in this in this state of my career i've just kind of done my job and get off but you know if i work hard enough fall off season maybe i could do a little bit more for my team to help us win a championship that's what i'm gonna do so um you know i i worked my ass off getting in shape i worked on getting out of my stance quick i worked on a lot of resistance stuff um, a lot of squats, you know, a lot of the stuff that face off guys need to maintain, you know, balance, strength and speed out of that, out of that face off position. So, you know, I, I, I just, I'd like to say I fine tune a little things like I, my clamp, I don't think based off statistics and based off how I feel, I don't think it needs to change too much. Um, but you know, my, my physical condition definitely needed to change. And that's what I'm most excited, I guess, to showcase this upcoming tournament series. That's awesome. That's so awesome. And you heard it here first, folks. Kyle Hartzell, no longer fittest guy in the league. It's hey, now still Tommy. A, he's still got a box Drago for that. Tyler Dunn. Yeah. I think he wants a piece. Tyler Dunn, in my opinion, still fittest guy in the league. Um, <laughs> hey, I'm now, nowhere in that conversation. I don't want no, to no, be. No, 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 no. I expect three Instagram posts of you with no shirt on ASAP. I don't think you'll ever see one of those in your lifetime if I'm lucky. <laughs> <laughs> okay, give the people what they want. Um, all right, so let's let's talk about your wing play here. Um, insane wings. Uh, but so let's look at last year. You had forty-five wing ground balls, and I would say that very few people use their wings as well as you do. And you had Troy Ray with nine ground balls off the wing last year. Um, however, Brody Merrill and Kyle McClancy they combined for eleven GBs off the wings. They're both now in the Water Dogs. And uh, you still got Glassini, and he's you know still the man. So what are you guys looking at to add to uh, Troy and Glick on the wings? And and have you spoken to those wings ahead of time? Yeah. So um, Troy and I, Troy and I are from the same town. We see each other all the time. Um, he was like the little guy down the block who we would invite to play you know lacrosse with us when we were playing out in the road. And you know I've known I've known Troy forever. So being able to play with Troy is is a lot of fun. Um, him and I, you know, work out together. We talk a lot, uh, strategize a bunch. Um, it's, I think it's necessary. I mean, I don't think necessarily anything. It was that 
I that they was that they were doing wrong. I think it was more or less I wasn't putting the ball into places that I was comfortable knowing that they had the beat on it and they were going to get it. Um, with the field a little smaller, um, it takes away you know five yards to throw that ball, and five yards is a lot of room, especially when it's uh, you're it's tough to be consistent out of the back of your stick. Um, so you know it's it's mostly what I, what I need to work on playing with Brody Merrill. Obviously, it's you know he's incredible, and he, I've learned so much from just that one season with Brody Merrill about you know being a professional, and you know I love. I loved being teammates and roommates with Brody Merrill. It was, it was awesome. Um, so, and, and Glick and I have been back and forth, you know, he's, he's kind of a leader on our team. So he makes sure he, he tries to keep everyone in the loop together and, and talk and make sure everyone's accountable and doing what they need to do. And um, so I, I'm just excited to uh, get to training camp and add some chemistry there. Cause I think if we have a little bit more chemistry this season, that number, you know, 52, whatever percent you said I had, uh, I think that could easily be up in the 65 seventies. If we're on the same page, um, you know, I, I would like to think that there's like a, a 6% threshold I should have. It shouldn't be 70 50. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to try to keep myself around there. Um, but uh, I'm also excited to see what some of these box guys have. There were a couple guys, um, you know, Tyson Tyson Bell um, is a guy that I've heard a ton about and haven't really haven't really seen him play the outdoor game too much, but love watching him in the indoor game. And uh, you know, he's great off the turf and gets the ball up, upfield fast. So you know, to maybe sprinkle him into the mix and um, to see if you know we have some chemistry there and and see how he's you know performing on on the wings in the outdoor game during training camp i would love to to add another guy in that i i could be confident in that you know if someone needs a needs a break he's hopping in and it's okay if he's if he's open i'm using him you know like it's i want to this year i want to kind of talk more um i was a bit frustrated last year and and um it kind of i would say hurt my team because i shut off and you know didn't really game plan as much as I should. And I was a little angry that I was winning all these clamps and I wasn't coming up with the ball. And like, um, so I think better mental attitude out of myself, um, a little bit more chemistry from the chaos. And then I think we're, we're pretty set. Um, so obviously frustration is something we all deal with as face-off guys. And I would say last year was the, the worst I've ever handled it. Um, so, you know, you learn from it and you grow from it. So that's all, that's all I got. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I mean, look, I mean, we look at your story, the, the, you, you came literally from out of the stands yeah. to become one of the greatest face-off guys on earth. And, you know, that's, that doesn't happen by being complacent. You have, you've obviously jumped over higher hurdles, so I don't yeah. think this will be a problem. And, and look, stripping that much weight and getting ready. And then taking on your shoulders, you're going to be the only face-off guy in a tournament that's basically a world game style format. You're playing every other game. So, you know, that's that says a lot about how much uh, <laughs> Coach AT has, uh, how much how much respect he has for you. Uh, Coach Towers obviously believes that you're the man to do the job. Now, uh, when we look at the clamps, so people have an understanding, you possess the ball in a clamp 200 times last uh, summer. Okay. That is more than 40 
more clamps than the second highest guy, which was Trevor Baptiste. So when we talk about what Coach Amplo said, he hit the nail on the head. If we can combine the exit value with the clamp speed, then we've got somebody who's pretty much unbeatable. Now, I know talking for myself and I saw a, a blueprint that was kind of later a lot of teams tried to use against you was like for myself, we'll go standing neutral grip instead of going mm-hmm. down a knee because I didn't want to get pumped for going 2% against you on a knee. So we went standing and raked and just locked the wings off. What's your game plan? What are you thinking when you go against that? Because you're definitely going to see it this time around. Yeah, I mean, well, that, that's obviously something I prepared for. Um, uh, the standing standing neutral stuff, obviously, it makes you a little uncomfortable down there. You know, someone rakes across. You got you to gotta match feet. You got to move your whole body, shift your weight, stay heavy on top of the ball, and then make a move to get out. So I struggled last year knowing that you were more athletic than me. And – I was just trying to get the ball out as quick as I could. Um, Mm -hmm. So instead of, all right, I have it. Let's go through my progressions in my head. All right, bang, bang, boom, and out. I was just kind of tossing it. And it it, it came with the frustration that, you know, I wasn't getting the ball myself. So I got to put it somewhere where I could maybe get it myself and my wing could maybe get it. And um, it was, it mentally, it it messed with me here and there. so, I mean, at times, obviously, I was able to fight it off and, and win face-offs and, and push the ball a little bit. But, you know, at times, it totally took me by surprise. So, good game planning on your part. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it, it's, it's just a little, a little bump in the road, obviously, as, as the game progresses. It, it definitely makes you think about what you're doing out there. So, uh, the mental side of things is, is, is tough, especially when it comes to someone standing neutral grip and you know, they get you on a rake once or twice and they are able to scoop and, and push the ball. So, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, obviously I'm, I feel more, a little bit more athletic now. So, um, I'm, I think I'm way more confident to scoop up a ground ball myself and turn and push the ball upfield. Um, so I don't think I would have as big of an issue right now with it. Um, but I mean, obviously we'll see how it goes in this, in this series and, um, I'm just really excited. I'm chopping at the bit, man. I'm excited that we get to play lacrosse this summer and wasn't really expecting to with everything happening, but, uh, I'm glad the PLL kind of figured it out and, and gave us a game plan here. Yeah, man. I can feel the excitement. Like I want to go grab my helmet right now. Like you're, you're all jacked up. You got me, yeah. all, got me sweating over here, man. It's going to be fun. I mean, you're talking about NBC, the Olympic time slot that got vacated. And this is going to be international eyeballs on professional lacrosse for the first time. This is going to be so cool. And with you playing as the only face-off guy, is there anybody else on your roster, say, you know, if, so people understand at home, if you if you fall start in the PLL, if you go early before the whistle, you're not allowed to take the next face-off. Anyone else on the roster is allowed to. So, or if you get a little gassed or whatever, is there anybody else on the roster? Because didn't you guys trade Thompson? Yeah, Jeremy. Um, yeah, Jeremy Thompson. So who's going to be taking draws if you can't take them? Um, if I'm picking a guy, um, it's, it's going to be Jack Rowlett. He's actually very, got very fast hands and damn man, like you don't want to get slashed and beat up by Jack Rowlett. So he's not nice. Like I like having Jack on my team. He is, he is not nice, but, um, I think he actually had the second best faceoff percentage on our team last year. So, um, I would say either Rowlett or Jake Ficaro is actually someone who I grew up facing off against. Um, on right. Long Island here. 
So Jake and his brother Jeff were my were some of my workout partners when I was coming through the ranks in high school, and uh, when they were in college, I would face off against them too. So you know, like we have we have options. Um, I don't think I'm going to run out of gas, um, but I, I know we have options. And Rowlett is mean. He's a different look than Jake, and you know, like Jake also is is a matchup nightmare because if he does end up beating you. Uh, as a as a true faceoff guy, you know, and D takes you to X. Good luck, you know. Uh, good luck. Most yeah. of those guys aren't playing defense on a guy like Jake Ficaro, who's two hundred and thirty pounds, fast as lightning, could go either way, and could shoot the shit out of the ball. Yeah, Sorry. it's okay. <laughs> this isn't a family. This isn't a family podcast. We can get a little, get a little gritty. All right, Jake. I'm all pumped up. I'm ready to see you score some goals. <laughs> well, so I mean, Jack's brother faced off at Duke. Right, didn't he? Um, Michigan, Michigan. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. So, I mean, it, it, he, he's definitely he understands it, right? So, Nick Rowlett is faceoff guy at Michigan, um, and Jack is is yes, very mean LSM, uh, and that that would actually be a, a real pain to face off against. And then for Caro was actually he took draws a little bit at Princeton before he transferred to uh, Villanova. He took draws for Villanova. He actually. Uh, during the All-Star game in the PLL last year, Ficaro took some face-offs in the All-Star game, I remember, uh, when I was injured on the sideline. And he fared very well. He's got a good rake move, and he's yep. super athletic. And you're right. As a face-off guy, you're thinking, I have to win this draw because if I lose it, I'm also going to get dunked on because there's yep. no way I can take this guy one-on-one. So that's pretty awesome. That's, I mean, that's a lot of good stuff to hear for people so they understand what they're looking at during these games next year. Um, now – when you guys look at going out to Utah, are you going to go out a little bit early to get acclimated? Um, I'm not really too sure what's going on just yet. Um, we're, we actually have a Zoom call tonight or tomorrow discussing that. Um, I mean, playing in Denver, it wasn't really, you know, obviously that's like 3,000-something feet, but at 6,000-something feet, I don't really know what to expect. So, you know, I've been making a few phone calls. I played college lacrosse with Adam Gittleman. I reached out to him. I uh, just kind of want to talk to him, see what the the acclimation period is like, and see if it, it affects everyone the same way. Um, and you know, like it's going to be different, but it's going to be awesome. And then the thing is, nobody's really at an advantage besides those three or four guys that live in Utah, because you know it's everybody's going from somewhere probably low elevation. Like I think I'm like 13 feet above sea level on Long Island here, so you know, yeah. like. Going from from a very low elevation, high elevation. I mean, it's an adjustment for everyone. So really, there's no real advantage there for for anybody, in my opinion. Okay, yeah, I I, I agree. So just so people know, PLL Championship Series will be held in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, and I think everybody is arming up right now. We're looking at Instagram. Everybody's in the gym. Everybody's you know, I feel like everyone's getting ready for like a really awesome sprint. Yeah, rather yeah. than a long marathon. So everyone's all juiced up on it. Um, well, I got to say, I, I really enjoyed talking to you, TK. I think the people at home, uh, one, are going to get some real introspective on on what's going on, but also just from the professionalism and your story and, and what you've learned from last year, even at a guy, like you said, uh, you know, an all-star who then had a little bit of trouble and is now coming back and is ready to roll. And that's how you're supposed to deal with adversity. And I hope kids at home watch you this summer watch your success and uh, are inspired by that. So I really want to thank you for joining us on the Stripe today, man. Oh, anytime. Thanks for having me. Hopefully I'll uh, be back on 
relatively soon and we could nerd out and talk some face off. So <laughs> my pleasure, brother. My pleasure. All right, man. That's going to do it here for this episode of The Stripe. Thank you for tuning in, and a special thanks to TK for joining me here today. We'll be back next episode with Archer's Face-Off Two-Headed Monsters, Bones Kelly and Brendan Fowler. Be sure to subscribe to The Stripe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please rate and review the questions and subjects that you'd like us to discuss. All feedback is appreciated. Once again, I'm your host, Greg Garenly, and you can follow me at GregBeast32 on Twitter and Instagram. Can't wait to meet you next time at The Stripe.